0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. Um, sometimes on this show, I like to just have people on to share their stories. And I know, you know, we're show focused on helping us trying to figure out how to be better husbands and dads and disciples. So you, we might listen to a story and think, you know, how does this helping me be a better husband, father, disciple? But the reason I do that is because I know as a dad, I have four kids, young kids, and sometimes as a dad, I get so focused on like the here and now, like just... Trying to figure out my own life and my own family, my own marriage, each of my own kids. And you get so focused on your own family that sometimes you forget, like, man, God is huge and he's doing a story in other people's lives and other families and throughout all of eternity. Like, God is working. And so when we hear stories, when we hear testimonies of God's goodness in other people's lives, even though it's not about us, it reminds us that God is working. Like, the story is bigger than us. You know what I mean? He's been working for all time throughout all eternity, and he's redeeming all humanity back to himself. And so somehow, the way that God has designed things, when we share our testimonies, when we hear the stories of God's goodness, it it actually takes the focus off of us personally as a man. It takes the focus off of our individual marriages and our individual families, and it points our eyes back to a bigger God. And when you do that, when you point your eyes off of yourself and back to who God is, It actually makes you a better husband, father, and disciple. And so that's my goal today, that you would hear a story, somebody else's story of their marriage and their family, and that you would see God's redemption, and that somehow in the midst of hearing their story, it would remind you of who God is. And just being reminded of the gospel truth that God did not bail on his people, but that he keeps pursuing his people, just being reminded of that somehow is going to make you a better husband, father, and disciple. And so that's my prayer for you as you listen to Paul and Amy's story today it's intense, it's hard, it's really raw. But man, just seeing the beauty of the way that God shows up in people's lives somehow makes us uh, a little bit more like Jesus and fall a little bit more in love with him. So that's my prayer for you today as you listen to this story, that you would fall more in love with Jesus and it would change the way that you parent your kids, love your wife, and act as a man. I love you guys. I hope you enjoy this episode. Amy and Paul super super excited to be hanging out with you guys today. I know that you are jumping around from like award show to late night show to movie premiere. Your lives are super busy in that way, but honestly, I would love to hear like the behind the scenes stuff. Like I'm sure there people could google your name and and find all kinds of fun like facts about your career, but I had a mentor one time tell me Jared, you will die a husband, you'll die a disciple, and you'll die a father. Those are really the only titles that matter. And so our careers come and go, but like mm. husband, father, disciple, that's the kind of stuff that we'll take to the grave. So that's the stuff I'd love to talk to you guys about. But maybe for our listeners, just catch us up like who you are and what you're up to these days.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us on the show, man. I'm new to this podcast, but but there's some people you've interviewed that I really, I really admire and respect mm. uh, their work they are as men. So I'm thrilled to be on this and be be a part of what you're doing Hmm. in your ministry here in this medium. I grew up in the Midwest, was obsessed with stand-up comedy and Saturday Night Live and movies and writing. I wrote poetry and songs and plays and skits and and just kind of, I was immersed. I mean, you hear stories about Michael Jordan, like shooting hoops long after The sun goes down in his dirt driveway in North Carolina. I was like that, but with film and television.
2: Mm.
1: Nurtured that up until I started to book TV and film stuff and, you know, struggled for about a decade. I would say early 20s to, you know, 20 to 30 was definitely a really trying time. I was like super obese. I'm still out of shape. I will very comfortably say that, but I'm not. Where I was, I'm probably about two sixty something right now, but in my early twenties, I was like three hundred and twenty five, three hundred and thirty pounds, ah. probably had fifty two, fifty three percent body fat, and just I just overly consumed fast food and alcohol and mm. marijuana, and uh, that was a huge part of my life. Wow! So I kind of had that Chris Farley, John Belushi, John Candy vibe where i just wanted to make people laugh mm. and get paid for it and be everybody's sort of crazy fat funny guy. Mm. And i think we all have met people like that and you always are able to kind of detect that people like that are often hurting mm. and they're not really treating it. They're just like what can i bring to the table cuz i'm not like all these other men that i wish i was secretly wish i was like. So mm. a lot of personal issues there but my career started to flourish in my late 20s and booked a TV show called Kingdom, and I got to uh, play kind of the village idiot in this MMA family drama show with Frank Grillo and Nick Jonas. Mm. And there I met one of my... One of the greatest examples I've ever seen of a man in my buddy Matt Lauria. Mm. He's most commonly known for Friday Night Lights, and now he's on CSI. I I forget which CSI. There's like 40 of
2: them.
1: But he's on one of those, and he's just... I met this guy and he's like, he was, he's like, yeah, I'm sober. When I'm not working, I'm immediately running home to the family. Mm. I try to stay out of the limelight and just really make it about the work when I have to work, but my family when I'm not. And, and I think I admired that, but didn't really understand it. Cause at the time I was just chasing actor land. I wow. just, I want to be the next Philip Seymour Hoffman. I want to make a million dollars. I want to win an award. Mm. So even though I admired it, I wasn't really emulating those things I admired. I was kind of still in that status. And every time I would try to lose weight, I would have to gain it for a role. So I took off 35 pounds and put them all back on for I, I took off about 15, 20 pounds and then put it back on for Richard Jewell. So as my success in my career was building, I wasn't really doing much self-care. I wasn't doing a lot of home improvement on my temple or my brain, my spirit. It uh, doesn't mean I was disconnected from God. I mean, I, I still enjoyed reading the Bible and I went to church and did plenty of things that still nourish the spirit. But there was a major, major damage and growth stunt, a stunted growth in me as a as a man. I was acting way too much like a boy living for parties and moments to boost my security from my insecurity. And, and let me get a selfie with so-and-so and and let me try to, let me try to go to this event and let me, uh... it was all about self amusement. It was just very Mm -hmm. self. And when you're single and you work in Hollywood, that's kind of just the thing. Doesn't mean I didn't tithe. Doesn't mean I didn't love people well it was that i wasn't loving myself well mm. i wasn't investing in myself for my future of who i wanted to be i was i was just very very much dialed into the present mm. and living for the moment which now that i am where i am now it's like i look back on that and i'm like what the hell <laughs> was i so tethered to
0: mm. but you were so mar- you were married at this point No, no,
1: no. no. This is like uh, my 20s to early 30s. And I had never been in a serious relationship in my life. I had just gone on dates or, you know, I think I dated somebody for like seven weeks. That was like the longest I dated anyone. Mm. And I was also a virgin at 33 when I met my now wife, Amy. Mm. I think that gives a very fair depiction of who I was. Good hearted guy, but totally clouded by immaturity, lack of experience. And had not truly been tested in a way that would have revealed moral character.
0: Mm. At what point in the middle of that, so you guys meet, how old were you when you guys met?
1: So I was 33. I was shooting this movie, Richard Jewell. Mm -hmm. It was the summer of 2019. And what happened was I was on dating apps. Hinge, I don't know, like what's the one everybody calls a hookup app? I wasn't really doing well on Tinder. It didn't seem my vibe. And Christian Mingle, to me, felt very sterile. And like I wouldn't find what I was looking for. Yeah. And Coffee and a Bagel and Bumble. I didn't like those names. (laughs) So Hinge Hinge was like my thing. I'm like, I bet Hinge is going to be my thing. Sure enough, went on a couple dates. But my second or third date, I don't remember which, was Amy Boland from thomasville georgia and uh (laughs) i was probably i want to say two weeks into filming the movie at the time Mm. and once again true to form like good guy but like totally full of it and just Mm. into himself and i showed up to our date at this uh really cute tapas place tapas t-a-p-a-s not topless (laughs) okay (laughs) we went on a date at this tapas place called Me Out, beulah on Peachtree Street in Atlanta. And I showed up wearing like a beanie and a sleeveless tee and these baggy, cheap shorts. I mean, I looked (laughs) like I worked at a weed store or like a comic book shop. (laughs) I looked like a, a Neanderthal. And Amy showed up looking gorgeous and was like dressed to the nines and looked like a boss lady in charge, which I would find out she very much is. And so that just sets the scene for, we had a great first date, got food, went over to the Midtown Arts Cinema, for those listening in the Atlanta area, and we saw John Favreau's live action adaptation of The Lion King. Oh, yeah. She was such a real woman and a lady. I had sort of only toyed around with these sort of dumb, selfish people like myself, not Mm. people who had been to Nicaragua trying to dig wells for clean water and stuff. Like she really was this elevated person of, of moral character and life experience that I had not been with at that time.
0: I want to pause you for a second. Cause I, I, yep. I, I really, I, I, I want to hear Amy's <laughs> your perspective on him walking up in the, uh, in the, t- the the t-shirt and the beanie and all that. Like what was your, what was going through your mind then?
3: I had been around artists in my whole life. Like I'd helped do tours for Passion,
0: mm. Six
3: Step Records. So like I, I get like the working artist type thing. So yeah. I was like, well, maybe he's filming all day. But then I was like, well, did he even try? <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> but what I learned on that date was just that he was really sweet, and he loved his family, and he loved to mm. serve people, and that's what I was like attracted to. I was like, I walked away, and I called a friend of mine, and I said whoever marries him is going to be a really lucky lady. Like He's just so kind. And I can kind of see the hard exterior and the facade he tried to put up with the pridefulness of, well, I'm working on a Clint Eastwood movie. But I was like, all right, well, there's something good under there. I
1: promise. (laughs) You know what? She also didn't care about the famous stuff. She very much was like, been there, done that, of, you know, Pretty sure Chris Tomlin and David Crowder have more fans than you, uh, and not in a combative way, but just very rounded, I would call. Yeah, it. yeah.
3: and i had found people who have done incredible things, and I like. He told me he was an actor, and I was like, "I bet you are." Everybody in L.A. is an actor.
2: Yeah.
3: I ended up texting a friend of mine that loves movies. I was like, "Have you ever heard of this guy?" And she was because I didn't watch TV barely ever.
1: Hmm. Unless it was
3: Gilmore
1: Girls, or
3: the <laughs> Christian Street. Broadcasting yeah. Network. Um, but I asked my friend and I said, "Have you heard this guy?" She's like, "Yeah, he's on Late Night." Like, you need to look. <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, he's a real actor." I mean, I was like, oh, "Okay, I just needed some credibility, you know, <laughs> to find out." You know what's in? And then I,
0: yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead.
3: I looked him up on YouTube and I heard him give an interview and I was like, "Okay, oh, Jesus, okay,
1: mm. we have
3: got." substance there
1: (laughs) we prayed before a meal
3: yeah we did wow and i invited him to church after we went on that date i was only in town for the weekend for a wedding and i invited him to church i think he thought it was a second date
1: well yeah and if i i I want a second date but i was like well i probably can't make out with her at church (laughs) so i was kind of like i want the second date to be romantic not uh in an environment in which I feel I have to do some sort of elevated spiritual thing yeah. potentially. Yeah.
3: But like my thought behind it was Passion City in Atlanta was my church. And I was like, well if you're gonna be here in Atlanta for a couple of weeks, like you need to have community and I'm very much like a connector of like mm. oh, you need to feed spirit, you need to be around good people and I thought it I just love that church
1: so much. Well you're you're a builder of community and so <laughs> You were trying to help me out. Yeah. But also, I don't know, maybe you did want to make out during the offering <laughs> or something. Maybe onward, Christian song. <laughs> we're just making out in the backfield. <sighs>
0: you know, it's interesting, that here, just hearing that piece of your story. I think about, one, when God says that it's not good for Adam to be alone. Let's make for him a helper like just hearing Paul, that stage of life you were in and like, God being like, all right, like the boy stage for you is like, we need to wrap that up. (laughs) You know, like you need (laughs) a a helper to come alongside of you. (laughs) Uh,
1: Very humbling. You're 100% correct.
0: And then, well, I think most dudes can relate to that. That's why I say that or like, that's been their experience too. And then Amy, I think for you, like one of the greatest gifts that God has given women that it doesn't always seem to translate as heavily to men in my experience has been just the gift of discernment, like being able to see the potential of who somebody can become. Yeah, And like my wife, I I was absolutely the same way. Like, and I think most guys would say that like, I was a boy pretending to be a man, you know, like I was just a boy and, but my wife somehow could like cut through all the noise and say, like, I can see who you, who God could make you. One day, and it seems like that's what you saw in paul, and that that's yeah. really a gift of discernment you know to be able to see that
1: I think she does have that gift I've seen that manifest in multiple ways and and when you're not ready to change and you're insecure, if someone is trying to drop hints or give advice in that regard, it doesn't feel helpful. it just makes you feel judged mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah. so even when she had those moments of insight early on in our relationship or was trying to point back to scripture i'm in my head i'm thinking i'm the son of a pastor read the bible twice don't try to tell me about scripture Mm -hmm. you know i it's like me saying are you questioning my resume Mm -hmm. and she's like no i'm just questioning your acumen Mm -hmm. because you seem a little off you know wow yeah how quickly did you guys end up getting
0: married sorry to interrupt you
3: no, I was just gonna say like I wasn't like the kind of girl that was like trying to fix it. Like I wasn't like trying to look for a project. Like I told him the other day, like I went on a date in April before that July before I met him with a guy. And he didn't know where the book of Isaiah was, and I was like, "This ain't gonna work."
2: <laughs> I was
3: like, "I need to wrap this date up quick and go home." <laughs> and I was like, "I can't." You know, I wasn't looking for a project. <laughs> yeah. No,
1: no, and I didn't mean to insinuate yeah. or give a connotation no, that I she know. was like. It wasn't yeah. that. Uh if anything, she probably needed to snap her fingers more early on and be like, I expect more from you. She really loved me like she loved me the way Jesus loves us while we were still sinners, you know, mm. while I was still a total screw up. Mm. She didn't care. She knew she loved me and that was more powerful than the uh behavioral deterrence, I guess. But yeah. I really think we did get married super quick i mean we, from that
3: date he went i went to go do a movie in georgia and he went to go do film cruella in london
1: mm-hmm. i was non-stop in work to be fair you were kind of non-stop in yeah. work, and we really didn't touch base again until december january when she's like hey i'm moving to la let's get together and i was why I was looking for
3: friends because I had, like, a handful of friends in Los Angeles. And I was like, he's a cool guy. I'd love to be friends with him at
1: least. Want mm. to say that on a witness stand? Want <laughs> to take a lie detector test? You're telling me you didn't want to start carving this piece of beef? Um, <laughs> no, I definitely planned to meet up with her. Around that time, I started dating somebody that I had met at, like, an award show. And it was fun, but it lacked depth and it was messy. And I was like, I I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just didn't know. And my sister Elise was like, who at times has been the most spiritually sound person I know. Mm. She pulled me aside and was like, the Lord told me that you need to break up with your girlfriend and God has someone for you and it's coming soon. So get ready. Your word is run. And I was like, whoa. Wow. She like took me out to lunch. Like she had never done this before, mm. and made a whole point of saying all that, and said it was like louder than thunder. Wow! So I was like, okay, cool. Broke up with the girlfriend a couple days later, and true to form, a month later, Amy and I went on our second date during COVID lockdown in Los Angeles,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where we we reconnected, and it was like it was gas and fire, man. It was just on. Mm. And then she ended up going out to Palm Springs with some friends of hers who produce movies and TV. And, and I went out there for her birthday and was, was visiting for maybe three, four days. And I left because at the time, I'm like, oh, I got to get back into work. This COVID-19 coronavirus will be done any minute now. And I got to go find my next big gig and blah, blah, blah. Well, sh- yeah, sure enough, that didn't happen. We're still locked down. She said to me, Why don't you just come stay with us in Palm Springs?
3: It was like this big mansion, and there's like I was the only girl and a bunch of guy friends, you know, because like we were all, we all worked together. And so it was kind of like a work thing.
1: Yeah, it was just a work thing for her and I. (laughs) So we lived together for about a month, May of 2020, because it was a work thing. And then Mm -hmm. I said to her by the end of May, I was like, It kind of feels like we're going the whole way with this thing. Mm. And she was like, yep, I feel the same. And I was like, well, we need to meet, meet each other's families. So I flew her out to Michigan in June of that year to meet my family. And then we flew down to Georgia and Florida to meet her family. I proposed to her in her hometown of Thomasville in her childhood bedroom. And... we're off to the races or so we thought with trying to plan a wedding during COVID, Mm. Uh, which would prove to be not easy. Yeah. Well, that,
0: I mean, that's so recent. I mean, you guys are, you know, somebody, Layla and I just uh, celebrated our 13th year of marriage a couple of days ago. And somebody, yeah, I appreciate that. Somebody said, you've made it to the teenage years. And I don't know why, like that, for whatever reason, I, they were saying it kind of like tongue and cheek, like just, "Oh, congratulations, your marriage is a teenager now." And I thought, had I been looking at our marriage, had I been counting the years of our marriage the same way that you count the years of like a child, my expectations yeah. for what marriage should be would be so different. Like, I'm like,
1: yes.
0: it's only thirteen. Yeah. Wow. It's just so young. It's just a don- Like thirteen year olds make. I have a twelve year old. I'm like those kids are dumb. Like they're in my house every day and they're, those kids are dumb. They don't, <laughs> they don't make good decisions and they think they know everything. But like in year three of marriage, if I would have been like, babe, we're three years old in this, like we're babies, mm-hmm. but like, let's give each other some grace. Holy cow. I would have saved myself so much heartache. Yeah. But I mean, so like you guys are still, you know, just your babies in this, you know, but like that I hopefully that sound that's like encouraging, not offensive. I didn't mean that to to come across.
1: Oh yeah, like. no, it's yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I don't even know that I'm toilet trained in marriage. <laughs> <church>. yes, <laughs> that's uh, what
0: I mean, though. I mean that's a it's like yeah. funny, but it's like true. You know, like I I have a two year old that I'm not like mad at that she's going to the bathroom in her diaper because she's two. You know what I mean? Like if she's fifteen, the conversation's different. You know what I mean? But she's two, and yeah. your expectations of where you are is like it just it helps.
1: I think that's a good segue into what happened summer of 2020, which was, you know, my family was freaking out because they're looking at me like, Paul, you are the least responsible of the four children in our family. Mm. And now Mm. you're going off and getting married to this woman we've only known for two and a half or three days. Mm. And to be fair, not based on Amy, but based on my resume of BS, like, I get that. I understand that. I understand having reservations about my judgment calls, mm-hmm. especially during COVID, mm-hmm. when everything was crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, having said that, I was in love, and we got married July 24th of 2020. 23rd. <laughs> 23rd. That's what I said. <laughs> we got married July 23rd 2020 in West Hollywood on our front lawn of the house we were renting with some other people. And... And it was beautiful, and it was fun, and it did mean something to me. Mer- it it was a real wedding, albeit wow. the the one that would be attended by three, four, 500 people would have to wait after COVID. Mm-hmm. We got pregnant a week later wow. into which we were trying. She was yeah. popping mm-hmm. prenatal gummies like addicts mm-hmm. pop nicotine lozenges. I was
3: thirty seven. Yeah, I was yeah. 37. I was like,
1: all right, I want to have babies before 40. Yeah. yeah, you're ready. Yeah. She's like, you really want to do this, right? You want to be a dad? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. No, yeah, of mm-hmm. course. Divorce isn't an option. We're doing this the whole way. And I was on board. But something happened where there was just a breakdown in communication where I was so used to my family and meeting their expectations. And Amy was kind of like, well, in a marriage, we leave in Cleve and we have our own family. Mm-hmm. And I was not... I knew that was a thing intellectually, but, you know, my family all lived in the same like zip code, essentially their whole lives Mm. with each. I was the weirdo that went off and moved to L.A. and worked in Detroit and moved to Chicago and was doing stand up comedy and sleeping on air mattresses. I really was the sort of defector of that ideology. So Mm. it's so embarrassing. I just said ideology. I never I always say Ideology. I think I was, like, trying to sound smart. That's so pathetic. (laughs) I Um, talked with you, man. Say it honestly, though, and and be forthright, uh, which is, like, I'm now in a program of sobriety in which uh, rigorous honesty is a pretty big deal. So Mm -hmm. I I just catch myself in the moment just stopping Mm -hmm. everything and going, damn full of shit.
0: Man, Um, we could all learn from that.
1: Yeah, it's helpful. Don't have to cover your tracks. No, so I'm very much enmeshed with my family and their ideology, at that time, and I wasn't
3: used to that because I have twin sisters, and one's a doctor, and she's in the army. And so is her husband. Other sister's a doctor. Her husband's in the army. Seriously independent. Like my parents raised some independent girls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. it was like, wow. when not tell us what to do, like our family's more hive
1: minded. Yeah, and, uh, and so when they're disapproving of Amy, or they have paranoia about her. In my state, as like the resume of little things start to build up, it's like small holes sink a big ship. And there were enough small holes that I was like, wait a minute. Did I get married too soon? Mm. Do I even know this person that I jumped into marriage and, and soon to be fatherhood with?
2: Mm.
3: And We had found that- out we were pregnant, too. What's that? We had found out that we were pregnant, too, around that time.
1: Right, right. Right around the time that we found out we were pregnant was when that breakdown communication happened. And, and you know, there, there are things that yeah, I want to be careful how I word this because I don't want to sound overly dramatic. But I would say is there are people who grow up in certain situations where if you sleep on the floor your whole life and somebody comes in, they go, where's your bed? And they point at the floor. They think that's a bed. They're not thinking mattress. They're thinking bed. That's where I sleep.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So there are certain behavioral constructs and characteristics and codes of behavior in my family that I just like, I fall in line with. Like, yes, we don't question this or yes, we do that.
2: Mm.
1: And it's really almost like the spirit of religion where you're not being governed by truth. You're kind of being governed by convention. Mm -hmm. And not to put it all in my own family. I would like to reiterate fully. That at that time in my life, I was conflict avoidant. Mm. I was abusing marijuana every single day mm. under the guise of, well, I'm doing this to fall asleep at night. It's like my sleep medication, mm. but then also during doing it during the day or waking up high or what have you. And I was just like fearful and stupid and immature. So I let those things fester. And then someone in my family had said the term narcissism and suddenly... The enemy used that on me where I was like, "Okay, well, now I'm going to look through that pair of glasses Mm. upon every interaction I've ever had with my wife, and I'm going to let paranoia and fear reign over the truth. Mm. Now, had I been communicating with Amy and just sitting her down saying, hey, we have to talk about this, let's go to a marital counselor, let's basically treat the wound like you would physically. We never would have had any trouble. We literally would have just gotten through it.
3: Yeah, but he had like packed up his stuff and left because he was going to do a baby.
1: I separated two months after we were married, September 23rd, 2020. Like, and wait, wait,
0: hold on. So, like separated like you had to go for work or separated like I am questioning Oh, no, no
1: separated like, hey, I don't, I don't know if I trust you. I don't know if you're being honest with me. Wow. I'm afraid. Like, I need to leave. I need to... I said, like, ooh, I need time to think. But really, it was the boy running away from responsibility.
0: Wow, just two months after. And she was pregnant. And she's pregnant.
3: And he went to his old apartment that he was using as an
1: office and flew in his brother and... Met with my guy friends and had them rally around me and was, like, explaining my situation. And half of my guy friends were like, I don't know, dude, like, this seems kind of brash. Like, uh... Mm. I can't give an opinion on Amy. I barely know her, but this doesn't seem right. And then the other half were kind of like, you seem like you're in the worst place we've ever seen you. We're going to support whatever you want to do. I didn't have Mm. male friends who were like kicking in my door going, hey, idiot, your wife is pregnant. What the hell are you doing? Wow. I didn't have that. And those that could have didn't speak up out of whatever fear, hesitation they had with me. Because there were good Christian men that just didn't speak up. So once again, not passing the buck, just telling you what happened. I go shoot a terrible movie called Delia's Gone in Canada. I'm alone for two weeks in quarantine before I even shoot the movie. And I am like chain smoking cigarettes, drinking old fashions, getting high every single day. And and all the while I'm like, well, I'm praying over this. I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to do a devotion. I'm going to talk to, and you know, it wasn't two weeks when I filed for divorce with wow. a uh, attorney. At least I had an initial discussion that turned into me filing for divorce. Wow. So I come back from that shoot in way worse shape, not physically. I mean, just mentally, spiritually.
3: And he had, during that time, he hadn't called me or checked on me. Yeah. what? Yeah.
0: Amy, tell what is happening in your mind. He leaves like what in the world's happening. in I your love- mind?
3: I had planned a trip to go to Atlanta and then to Dallas to see my sister. I'm pregnant and I'm in the worst stages of nausea. <laughs> you know, like the uh, worst when you're just throwing up at every turn. That happens in my pregnancies, but I remember just being like praying every day. And, like I would send him messages. I would send him scripture. I would send him. I had people praying all over the country that were in like my, my prayer warrior group that I would call.
1: And these were loving messages. She wasn't even scolding me. She was literally like, come home. I'm sorry. I love you. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, like, let's have a conversation. We can try and rebuild this. And, and I was never afforded a conversation. It was just he left. His family wouldn't talk to me. I wrote them a letter. They wouldn't talk to me. They wouldn't respond to me. Wow. And it was just hard for me because they are a pastoral family. And I was just like, I don't understand. And somebody told me the verse and it helped me throughout this whole time that we went through. It's from Proverbs. And it says, the king directs a man's heart. He tells it which way to go. It's like a river. He tells it which way to go. And that person was just like, I mean, only God can change his heart. And only he can turn his heart where it needs to go. And she was like, you stay faithful, you keep praying, and God's going to reward that faithfulness. And we don't know how, like it may not be in the favor that you want, but God will reward the obedience to stay faithful and praying for your husband. And that was something I felt the Holy Spirit tell me was like, even if Paul is not faithful to the commitment that we made, that doesn't let me off the hook to not be faithful to the commitment I had made. Wow. Wow. And so um, it was pretty rough because like I hadn't heard from him. And I remember I went for a walk and I saw that he was FaceTiming me and I was just so excited because I was like, maybe he wants to call and like talk and, you know, let's have a conversation. I had an idea that he might be back in town because, like, again, he hadn't spoken to me. Geez. And I picked up the phone and he was like, how are you? And. I was telling him some stuff that was going on with the pregnancy, like I had passed out in the Target parking lot just from exhaustion, and it like this woman found me. It was like knocking on my window, like, and I was just telling him some stuff, like, "This is hard, like, this is hard." And I was like, "I just miss you," and I don't know if you were drunk or high, but I could tell something was off with him.
1: No, I think I'm seriously malfunctioning. I don't think I was loaded.
3: Yeah, but then that's when he said, "I think we made a mistake." And so I got divorced. I filed for divorce. And I was like, what? And I was like, Paula, we have a baby coming. Like, I'm two months pregnant. Wow. Like, you didn't even talk to me. And like, my heart was just shattered. I remember just everything in me just feeling, yeah, because like, I loved him so much. And then to feel like your heart's just shredded. Like, the only way I can describe it is like, if someone were to take your heart, like a piece of Parmesan cheese on a grater. Mm. And that's what I felt in like my heart was doing, because I felt like everything had been ripped
1: mm. apart in my heart. I had a process server outside waiting to go to the door to deliver the papers. She wouldn't answer the door. They followed her to her doctor's appointment. So she's there to hear the baby's heartbeat for the first time, and she gets served papers in the parking lot.
3: Like wow. As I'm walking in, because that was the next day.
1: Which it doesn't matter that I didn't intend for it to be there. It was still awful. Yeah, obviously. Like
3: I walked. I was we're getting out of the car to like part the like valet the car and to go hear the baby's heartbeat for the first time. And this man just started calling my name. And you look when somebody calls your name. And man handed me a stack of papers. And My friend was with me, and she was like, "We're not doing this right now." Mm. And she took the papers from in the back of the car. Then I walked in to the doctor's appointment and I was just telling my daughter, I was just shaken. My friend was mad. She was like, <laughs> she mm-hmm. was like, I can't believe this. And she, the doctor let me listen to our son Harris's heartbeat for the first time. And she took a video of it. Cause so I was like, I did want it video, like seeing and hearing the baby's heartbeat for the first time. And you can just see in that video, like I just start weeping.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I remember my heart just like, Beating and I couldn't believe this was happening.
1: For the sake of, this isn't a three-hour podcast, so for the (laughs) sake of uh, details within reason, I go to shoot a movie called Queen Pins.
0: Hold on, hold uh, on, hold on. I'm okay on time because I want to catch this for a second. Even hearing Amy retell that portion of your guys' story, what comes up as you hear that?
1: Me wanting to beat the shit out of myself. Mm. That's one way of putting it. Yeah, I just I do I mean the resume of faults is never gonna feel okay going down. It'll always be an apple with a razor blade. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. I go to shoot a movie called Queen Pins, and once again I'm in the same city or vicinity as her. I'm in Pomona, she's in West Hollywood, it's not that far away. Jerry Tree. And I'm I'm uh I'm on set with Vince Vaughn explaining the story to him, and he's looking at me like I'm crazy. He's Mm. like, I don't know, Paul. It sounds like something you could probably figure out. Like, this doesn't sound that extreme. This is normal. People go through things. Mm. And I just kept, like, I remember being so stubborn as if, like, well, Vince doesn't get it. And he was looking at me like, I love you, buddy, and I love working with you. You're a good guy, but this sounds crazy. Mm. I remember telling Kristen Bell, and she looked at me like she wanted to throw up. And only later did I realize, like, oh, that's – that I left a very bad impression on her. Mm. I still haven't gotten to make an amends on that or talk to her about mm. it because I just don't see it. But mm. She also gets it. Her husband, Dax, has been very open about his his substance abuse problems the same way I, I have with mine. But, yeah, I, I start doing marital counseling with Amy under the advisement of Jeremy Treat, who is a terrific pastor. And buddy of ours at Reality LA in Hollywood. Mm-hmm.
3: I didn't know who his pastor was, but a f- pastor, a friend of mine in Tallahassee, was like, What church do you go to? Got me connected to him. So the day I was scheduled to talk to Jeremy, because I like texted, was like, Paul's left me, I'm pregnant. I was like, Is there any way that you can talk to him? Because I was like, He's not seeking wise counsel clearly. So the day that I got served the divorce papers, I already had a call scheduled with Jeremy like 30 minutes later, wow. which was such a good yeah. thing. Yeah.
2: What
1: you and I looked at it too. Like, I'm going to do this to kind of humor Amy. I don't feel different, but in it, you know, Jeremy was nailing me on stuff, just saying like, dude, do you realize you don't have grounds for divorce? Do you realize you're trying to exit the marriage as quickly as you entered it? And if expediency was the problem, why are you not applying that to right now? Mm-hmm. In you trying to leave. He had a million good reasons and so did Amy and she was patient with me. She was far sweeter than she should have been. Hmm. But once again, I just was like burying my head in the sand. I I do believe, though, I agreed to do the Love Dare, this this devotional book. Mm I was like, let's do this through December, January, and let's talk through the holidays and let's try to work this out. So I'm doing that and that's genuine, but I'm still like bumping up against this thing that is not allowing me to just surrender that's the best word i can use for it yeah. i'm not surrendering to god mm. in that time i'm also like being tongue-in-cheek like oh this kirk cameron stuff oh uh, what are we doing this is so dumb january of 2021 i book the biggest role in my life as an actor in this show called blackbird at the time it was called in with the devil which is just interesting mm. to note mm. and i'm getting ready to play a serial killer so Third week of January, I believe it was, I hit Amy up and it was like, it was like January 25th mm-hmm. of 2021. And I said, I don't think this is going to work out. I think I need to move forward with the divorce. He had
3: the attorney. He didn't even, he wouldn't answer any of my calls or talk to me. He
1: just had the attorney do it. I thought we did speak, though. I we spoke, but you said you did think about it. Re- regardless, that same day that I dropped that bomb on her, somebody went on Twitter and just started lambasting me, which I deserved, but like, I didn't know who it was from. And the details were very intimate to which I thought, okay, well, Amy's attacking me on Twitter and trying to ruin my career now. Mm. It was like uh tagging variety, Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, famous filmmakers, friends of mine. Wow! And it was like, there were details that I only told Amy, like the fact that I had gone to like rub and tugs multiple times in my past. Probably four or five times,
2: mm.
1: and in different places I was filming, like uh, Atlanta for I-Tanya or in Thailand for The Five Bloods. Mm. And I'm not proud of that. I certainly don't do that anymore mm. and haven't since I think the fall of 2019 in that regard. But I basically was just shocked that that ended up on the internet and that that was being tweet it out about me hmm. and the enemy used that for me to immediately blame it on Amy who didn't do it. It was just somebody in the grapevine of conversation who knew enough about our stuff. Clearly a friend of hers or a family member or something. I ended up blaming that on Amy and I just wrote her off and didn't talk to her the whole month of uh, February March. and into March. I was just busy getting ready for the role. I shot Cobra Kai Then I go to New Orleans to shoot Blackbird early April of 2021. And at that time, she's hitting me up like this baby could come any day. Are you going to be here? I need to know. Wow. I'm like, I was just, I could have easily gone. I blamed it on my shooting schedule. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to make it. I can't be there. I'm trying to provide for you by working this job.
3: And he didn't even tell me that part. He told me me through the co-parenting counselor. Um, like the co-parenting counselor said Paul will not be there and, like he wouldn't get on a video call with me to like even look at me mm. to tell me. That, that was hurtful because like you mm. go into this thing like okay we're going to be parents and then you have somebody else tell me and he said I can't be here for a number of reasons and I was like there is no reason why you shouldn't.
1: Correct. Yeah so I don't show up at the birth I watch it on FaceTime and then I, I don't meet our son until Memorial Day weekend. We have a great three days. And forgive me, I do have to wrap up some of this. I can't tell you every everything I've ever done here. But Memorial Day weekend, I see him and her. We have the greatest time of my entire life. I report back to everybody. Guys, this is the greatest weekend I've ever had. Amy was amazing. Our son is gorgeous. This is awesome. But I'm still stubborn. I'm still like in this stupid, crazy place. Of believing that I somehow know better and can't turn back. Mm. I think part Mm. of it is just you go so far in one direction. You don't want to turn around. You don't want to admit to you. You don't want to surrender. At that time, I'm drinking and ingesting a ton of marijuana. I have a night where I, I fool around with somebody I run into in New Orleans. I'm still married, but filed for divorce. I'm acting like I'm not married anymore. And Mm -hmm. I have a night where I go out to a strip club and spend like $5,000 and I'm thinking about suicide while I'm sitting in the strip club. I got drunk and I like headbutted my laptop and broke it and went out and spent that money. And it was the darkest moment of my life, thinking about suicide while you're alone in a a strip club. Mm. But what I realized now is that guy just really hated himself and the enemy wanted him to kill himself. Hmm. I genuinely believe the principalities were like, let's make sure Amy and Harris come up without you. And I dealt with suicidal ideation in the past. So this wasn't a new thing.
3: And we hadn't heard from him since
1: June at that point. Yeah. So July of 2021, I decided to get California sober. I'm still using marijuana, but I stopped drinking and I stopped watching pornography So I cut out porn and drinking and I think I'm in some good place. But once again, I'm just I'm trying to get through the divorce proceedings. That fall, Amy and I do this mediation thing where we're like trying to figure out who gets what. And I'm trying to pinch every penny and I'm I'm acting as if she's ripping me off or something when all she's trying to do is be a stay at home mom and take care of Our son.
3: And he still hadn't called to like talk. So he went from June to October without even asking about
1: it. No, we FaceTimed at the end of October. We didn't FaceTime at all that summer. Mm -mm. Oh God. No. God. I didn't even remember that. Mm. Yeah. So the entire time I'm just sending her a ton of money and not showing up, I'm acting like this is something I'm paying off and providing for. There's no emotional engagement. There's no thoughtfulness. And Amy would tell me later, like, dude, you could have been a plumber making 20 grand a year. I would have preferred that version of you. That's present in our lives. than the guy who sends a bunch of money and is being completely heartless Mm -hmm. that fall. I'm finally coming back to be in our son's life and to show up. I hadn't seen him in almost six months. And as I show up, I'm, I have that same trepidation and, and, conflict avoidance and all these fears and paranoia. But I I entered into this program. Obviously, you can guess which program it is. They say that we shouldn't talk about it. It's called Anonymous. I I think that's insane because if you don't talk about it, it doesn't embolden other people to do it. Mm. So I got into AA. I got a sponsor. Mm. And on day 89 of my California sober, I admitted to all of them through tears that I had been lying to them and I wasn't truly sober. So I started my day count over at one day, October 26, 2021. And the next month, I spend a couple weekends with her and Harris. And it's super fun. And Amy's still being gracious. We still have time to turn back the clock and not get divorced. And I'm trying to make that last-minute decision. I think it was late November, I started taking Zoloft and Trazodone. Zoloft for depression, anxiety, Trazodone for sleep. And I'm still kind of getting off the marijuana of it all. I'm only a month into being off of that dependency. So when I could have turned back and should have, and had all the advisement of in the world to like, hey, you can stop this. I cut off contact with her early December
3: because that Thanksgiving <clears throat> he came and spent time with my family, and
1: they were incredible.
3: I asked him, I was like, please, please, because I knew he was about to go start filming again for Cobra Kai. I was like, please, just think about what it could look like if we tried again.
1: Just huh. I. And she was also trying to prove like your fear of my family coming down on you for all that you've done or omitted to do. That's just a fear. That's not reality. If you come here, they're going to treat you well. These are Christian people who understand forgiveness and want to embrace you. They just want you to be here for me. Wow. And even after they showed that extension of love and grace, I still wasn't turning back. So I was on the five yard line. I was like, I just need to, you know, break the plane here. And on December 15th, 15th of 2021, we were officially divorced. Mm-hmm. And I had some people ask me, they're like, Do you how do you feel? Do you feel better? And I was like, No, there was no peace. No peace. It was it was so obvious mm-hmm. that I had royally screwed up. We spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and then New Year's Eve together. And it was so obvious. It was like God was like, you need to go win her back now, dummy. You had a lot of time to turn back and you didn't.
3: So we, was, we were divorced for 15 days before...
1: Before I kissed her on New Year's Eve. <laughs> and early to mid-January, we started having these in-depth conversations where my dumbass was stopping to actually listen to her and see her heart in all of this... And answer a bunch of questions where I previously filled all of those with conjecture, paranoia, and fear. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, January, we started, like, redating each other. And then February of that year, I, I told her, why don't you and Harris come out and visit me on my new movie? I was shooting a movie with Sydney Sweeney in New Mexico. And they came, and it was like a dream come true. It was like everything I ever wanted. I had my wife and my son – with me on a film shoot it's a movie i'm proud of Mm. i'm coming Mm. home to them at night and we're eating meatloaf and snuggling and like it was everything i ever wanted and suddenly things like suicidal ideation they just never came back Mm. and so march of that year i was like well after i wrap this movie i gotta go tell my family what's happening because clearly we were headed toward remarriage and i go and tell my family, and there's like admittance of certain things where they're like, yes, we overreacted. Yeah, you were psychotically immature, and most of us were just afraid that you had made yet another big mistake, and we wanted you to be able to move on and mm. have a not defined life. Little did they know it's defined me for the better, because we got remarried May... Don't tell me. <laughs> Don't tell me. We got remarried May... 14th mm-hmm. of 2022. 20, Sorry, brain fart. I'm a man.
2: Yeah.
1: Amy says to me, it was so funny because she's like, she's got this sweet sassiness about her. It's a Southern girl and her <laughs> you can take the girl out of Thomasville, but you can't take the Thomasville out of the girl. <laughs> yeah. She says to me, she goes, you know, you got to re-propose to me, dude, just because we have a marriage date set in Calabasas and you might have bought flowers and a collared shirt. Like, you better get on your knee again. So I was like, oh, man, she's right. So I decide to get a tattoo of her name on my finger. I have tattoos, but they're all from Michigan. I haven't done them out here. So I'm buddies of Pete Davidson. I hit him up and I go, dude, I need someone to do tattoos. You have 700 of them. Who can you recommend? And this this woman, this young woman named who goes by the name of Cat, Ghost Cat on Instagram, she comes out to the house one night. And I tell Amy, I'm like, oh, I'm filming all night. I'm not going to be able to. See you tonight. Just go to bed and I'll see you in the morning. It's the night before we're going to get remarried. And and really, I just snuck this tattoo artist up to our pool house above our garage to give me a tattoo for 90 minutes. My buddy, this guy, Simon, was with me. And he's like, uh, hey, man, I got to leave. I'm really tired. I got to bounce. And I'm like, no, no, no. I will pay you $50 to stay here until this is done. And he starts cracking up laughing. He's like, Why? I'm like, if my wife finds me up here with a woman, it doesn't matter if we are baptizing children. I will get the crap kicked out of me. So he sticks around. I finish it off. The next morning, I repropose to her on bended knee with a slice of her favorite cake from Hanson's and uh, her favorite drink from Starbucks. And and I showed is. her that that says Amy. There it is. We got remarried. We tried to get pregnant yet again. And what was the day you found out? It was in
3: August. I think that we found out.
1: So we started trying in like June. late June, early July. Yeah. So about six weeks later, we were pregnant with baby number two. Wow. And uh, we're on this journey now where I'm a year and four months sober. Mm. She's on baby number two due early April. Mm-hmm. And uh, listen, listen. I need every bit of help I can get. I'm in a program. I have a sponsor. I have a personal therapist. We have two sets of marital counselors.
3: Which Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs have never heard their oh story. Oh, my mm-hmm. They committed it's adultery, best. and they got divorced, and then 10 years later, they got remarried. Wow. And so mm-hmm. they've become just, like, mentors and friends of ours. That have, and she, They wrote a book called I Do Again. Mm-hmm.
1: And they have been incredible, this couple – can I say? Yeah. This couple Tom and Christine Rubino have also been marital counselors for us based out of Florida. And they have been absolute miracle workers in our lives. And, uh, and what I've learned is like, listen, I thought I was a really good guy uh, until I was tested in a moment where I had to make a really tough decision. And I made the wrong one over and over and over again in perpetuity. And, yeah, I want to beat the ever-living crap out of that guy. And I hate that old version of me. But I also know that God hardened Pharaoh's heart to tell his story.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, Why am I any different? Wow. So this is a story God wanted to tell. Yeah. It should be a lesson to a lot of people, too, that, like, God doesn't hate when you watch rated R movies because the Bible – and a lot of the stories he tells are pretty hard. are
2: mm-hmm.
1: ours was, mm-hmm. and uh, and now we're on the other side of it. Yeah, and and I just realize now that like my everything I thought I wanted, I just don't. I don't care about anymore. Mm. Like I don't care about being accepted in Hollywood. I don't care about winning a bunch of trophies. I don't care about being anybody's anything. All I want to do is be kind and accountable. Mm-hmm. I want I want to show up for Amy and my kids and I want to show up as an actor because I do take pride in my work. I want to do things with excellence and honor God and what I do on screen too.
0: Wow. I have so many thoughts. I know you, we got to wrap up here, but first, thank you for sharing that story. I don't know if how many times or if you've shared that story before, but that's incredibly powerful. So thank you guys for reliving that. I know that it's hard to sometimes even sometimes when I tell our story All these years later, it will make Layla cry. So I know that that can bring up real pain. So thank you for sharing your story. To Paul, I know you've been winning a lot of awards lately. I feel like we need to make a giant award for Amy because uh, she's the clear (laughs) (laughs) award winner (laughs) in this story. Just incredible, Amy! Your faithfulness to the covenant, which is really what when that's like a big takeaway for me. It was it wasn't just like a contract. You broke your into the contract, so I'm out of mine. I, I have every right to leave, but you. Honored the covenant of marriage, which is just so beautiful. And then lastly, I, I, th- I just want you guys to again here. I know that you have a team around you and people around you who are pouring into you and, and rallying around you, but God is all about his story, his grand mm. story. And his story is he should have bailed because we all turned our back on him a bazillion times and, yeah. a, and a billion times he could have said, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. And he didn't. He stuck around and your story of marriage is a micro picture of that bigger story. And uh, you said that and you know it, but I just want you to hear it again from somebody who just heard your story for the first time. Like He has set you aside for his glory and for, yeah. for your good. And I think that your story, out of all the, the amount of views that you'll get on uh, from people watching you in shows and theaters and streams and all that stuff, the biggest story that you will ever tell and the most powerful one will be the one that you just told. And that's of God redeeming you so that he can point all of humanity back to him and says, look at how messy you were. And I still take you down with my great love. And so uh, you guys are just telling a really amazing, beautiful gospel story with your marriage. And I'm so grateful that I got to hear part of it. Thank you.
1: Um, Thank you. Yeah, man. Also, like, I think for the women listening to or anybody listening, like, Be helpful if you told them what you were, what all you were doing to stay faithful in that time, like the prayer wall and everything. Like, tell them all the stuff you did Um, that, like, amounted to that that extent of uh, fortitude. Because it's really, it's really amazing.
3: I think just surrounding myself with a group of women that were praying, like I had a prayer warrior group, and on Instagram you can have the, you know, your close friends. So I would update them through that. Before he, the day that he filed for divorce that weekend, before I found out, I felt like the spirit was like, it's time to wage war. And so I wrote scriptures and you can see on my Instagram page, because I posted it after we first shared our story. But like, because the word is living and it's active and it fights and it's, it's going to move and moves the heart of God. And so some days I would lay in my bed, I, put, I wrote out all the scripture that I could think of on my wall and some days I would be beating the wall and crying it and still saying it. I remember just in tears sobbing in my bed because my body hurts so bad. I was just physically exhausted while being pregnant. And and I remember just like every morning and every night I would stop and read those scriptures. I was like, no, I'm going to I believe who God is, who he says he is. And I'm, I, I want to move the heart of God. And I remember being outside a post office and... My doctor had called to tell me that we were having a boy. I remember beating the steering wheel and saying, God, you can't have, or telling the enemy, like, you can't have my family. I'm pleading the blood of Jesus over my family, over my husband.
2: Wow.
3: You know, like worship is a weapon, too. Natalie Grant has a song that says worship is a weapon. And I have a whole playlist called Fighting Words on Spotify that a friend of mine started. With me and I just played that on loot for probably two years, and I remember my pastor's wife and I helped plant Passion City DC, and Ben Stewart is the pastor there, and his wife Donna is a good friend of mine, and she told me one day because I was like I don't know if God's going to do it, like I just don't know, and she said sometimes God will give people over to their sin, Mm -hmm. and she said that's when you have to keep trusting Him,
2: Mm
3: -hmm. and I was like that's so true. Christian Stanfield had a song, A Miracle Breakthrough Power. And then it, it says, if God is in it, then the story's not finished. As long as he's in it, the story's not finished. And I just clung to that. I just clung to it. And they were in concert in Tallahassee. And I went to go visit them. So I used to work with them. Christian was just praying over us and our family. And he was like, Amy, God's not done. He's not done. And as I rolled into the parking lot that day, they sent me the final divorce papers wanting me to sign them. Wow! And I was right. like, God's not done. And I remember after we were divorced, Paul was going to a wedding and I said, Paul, I want you to listen to those words. And I hope we say them again one day. I was very outright. Like I was going to speak life.
2: Yeah.
1: And and true to form like Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs, their book is called I do again. And the day we got remarried, I said, I do again. Mm -hmm. It was like, there have been so many of these beautiful moments that, are clearly God-authored, and she believed them before she saw them.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think that testament of faith is should excite people and embolden them to have crazy childlike faith in, in their struggles because it, it really paid off for Amy and me.
3: I had friends that stopped me and would say, like I had one friend that called me on Christmas Eve, and she said, Amy, it's hurting everybody around you to see you have so much hope. And I, I don't fault that friend. I love that friend dearly. But I think that sometimes when God calls you to something, like he calls us to marriage, it's going to make some people uncomfortable when you have that faith. Mm,
2: yeah.
3: It's going to make some people. And I was like, you know what? I don't care. Like, I'm going after all God promised. <laughs> like, he's got a big book of promises. Yeah. I'm going after all mm. of it. And so um, that's something that I would just encourage. Like, don't give up. God's not finished. As long as we have
0: breath and life in us, he's not done. Wow. My wife, somebody once told my wife in the middle of our season where I was just an idiot, she said, and somebody was suggesting that she leave. She said, I'm not going to leave Jared because God hasn't left me. And and that was the picture of the gospel that our marriages are telling. Mm -hmm. I'm so encouraged by your guys' vulnerability, your raw honesty, because it points to a bigger story. I'd love to, as we just close out, I'd love to just say a quick prayer for you and and for our listeners, if that's okay. Oh,
2: thanks, dude.
0: Absolutely. God, I'm so grateful for this story, God, that you set aside Amy and Paul before the foundations of the world to tell your grand story, that you would choose them to say, I'm going to use your marriage to bring glory to my name. And you have. God, thank you that you are chasing us down. God, that you're faithful. Amy gave Paul a great picture of your gospel love that I can see all of you in your brokenness, the worst of you on your worst day, and I'm still chasing you down with love. God, that kind of love that Amy showed Paul is the kind of love that you have for us, that you see us at our worst, and you still say, I'm going to chase you down with my great love. I pray that their story would be magnified 10 times God, that it would would go out to all the ends of the world. God, that that their kids would see it, that their community would see it, that the world around them would see that there is a God that sees us in our mess and loves us fully. God, that many lives would be saved, souls would be saved as a result of their story and their marriage. God, I pray for the people listening, God, the wife listening right now who feels like she is hopeless, that her husband is far from you. God, I pray that you would comfort her. In the nights, God, that she's crying herself to sleep, God, I pray that you'd bring comfort by your Holy Spirit, hope, God, that you are not done, that you play the long game, even though it feels like days, months, years, you're in it for the long haul, that you will not stop chasing down. I pray that you would give her hope in that, God, that you would be her source of satisfaction and joy, that her salvation. God would be her satisfaction of source of joy, God, that she would not look to her husband or any other life circumstance, God, but that she would somehow in the midst of chaos be able to find herself on a steady rock. And that's that she's saved Mm -hmm. and loved by the God of the universe. I pray for all the men who are listening, God, who can relate to Paul's story, God, that they are deep in sin and selfishness, God, that they are still acting like a Mm -hmm. child. They're wanting to do all the things their own way. And God, they may be listening to this episode and they don't even know how they found it, Lord. But somehow they've listened to the story and they thought, dude, that's me. I'm living with my head in the sand, just stubborn, putting my heels in and not willing to listen to anyone else. God, I pray that you would soften his heart right now. God, God, that he would be drawn to you as a son. God, would you use all of this for your glory? God, that you would be, your name would be made great. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
3: My man, so beautiful. Thank you. I'm so grateful
0: to meet you guys. It really, really was a huge pleasure. And I'm so grateful to hear your story.
1: Quick word to the dudes listening or anybody that it applies to. If you've done something wrong or some things wrong, like the fear of embarrassment of admitting wrongdoing will pale in comparison to the embarrassment of continuing on in that in that manner. Remember that. It's, it's the best advice I can give mm. in this moment. Man.
0: Thank you guys again. This was so wonderful. Thank you.
1: Yeah, dude. Thank you. you. God bless you, man.